the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, family and friends. Ron Geyer with End Time Insights. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. You make my day all the time. I'm just so honored to be here and grateful that you guys listen. Today, we're going to talk about the world, our enemy. Interesting stuff. We'll move on from the teaching of false doctrines and false teachers. Let's take a look at some of the other dangers, though, that are out there for the church. Psalm 38:12. They also that seek after my life, David writes, They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things, and they imagine deceits all day long. So remember, there are those in this earth that are searching for your life. You've got to understand that. You've got the demon forces that try to trip you up with an actual ongoing attack. They tempt you with this. They tempt you with that. They cause you to be defeated in certain areas, Bob through perhaps sickness or, you know, the Bible says the devil comes as an angel of light. And so there's so much deception. That's his greatest weapon. That's his only weapon against the church, deception. No, we'll have to do a teaching on that. But if there's anybody that should be unable to be assaulted by deception, it should be the church because we have the truth. Hallelujah. So we're talking today then about the world, the temptations in the world, the lust of the world. 1 John two fifteen and 17, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And then here you see something revealed. If any man love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. That's an interesting statement. And once again, there are those in this earth who are searching for your life. They're after your soul. They use both spiritual and natural means to go ahead and do that. And they don't always show up so obviously. And right here we find out that the entire world in which we live, if any man loves this world, the attractions of the world, the carnal draws of the world, if any man loves that stuff, loves the world system, if any man loves the the love of money, the root of every evil, that's of the world, the Bible says if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Spiritual enemies, yes, but their trappings are just as deadly the world, the enemy of mankind. John now speaks to us with warnings to the church about carnality, carnal dangers. He says Christians must not love the world or what's in it, its pleasures, its attractions, its merchandise. He says if we do, it should reveal something about us. Should reveal what about us? And that is the truth that God's love isn't in us. Remember, when we get saved, something gets placed inside of us. John, First John 3, 1, Behold, Another word for behold, every time you see behold in the Bible, change it and just go, wow. The Bible says, wow, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us 
that we should be called the sons of God. Being called the son of God should be your default position. Therefore, the world knows us not because it didn't know him. A determining factor or an outright evidence that you are a Christian is that your love testifies it. What does your love testify about you? If you love the wrong things, for example, the world, John says, that proves that God's love isn't in you. And wow, I would say there's very few people that I know that do not love the attractions of the world. They do not love sports. Uh, most of my friends love sports. I admit it. I watch football games now and then. But there's certain things I can't do anymore, and I do not bring it to the place where it consumes me in my thought life. You can't do that. God crowns us with his love. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Hallelujah, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. One must get a revelation of the God kind of love that he's gifted us with. It's not the love of the world. It's divine love. It's the God kind of love, a totally different kind of animal, if I may. The purpose of that love is so that we could be called the children of God. It's a divinely adoptive love that brings fallen man back into the family of God. Here is another great truth, so important. If that love is in you, then they should see Jesus in you as well. And if they see Jesus in you, you become anathema to the world, and the world should become anathema to you. It's an evidence of your transformation. God wants you to be successful for him while you're in this world, but it doesn't stop there. John's point here is that the world is incapable of recognizing God and his love because that's a spiritual discernment. But their spirits are dead to God. Remember, when you get saved, you get born again, your transformation includes your spirit man becoming alive unto God. His Holy Spirit comes inside you, and the spirit that was once dead to the things of God is now alive unto the things of God. You have a different heartbeat, as it were. You've got the love of God. Okay, I showed you where the love of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has gifted us with. Well, Romans 5, 5. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God not only covers you and showers you and blesses you and gifts you with his love, but he goes one step further and he places that love inside you because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Not only has God bestowed his love upon us, enabling us to become his children, but he also places the same love inside us. He just doesn't tell us to be separate from the world, but he enables us to do it by placing his Holy Ghost inside us at the new birth. God's warnings are great. But if he doesn't equip us to do battle or be victorious in battle or give us the strength to withstand the draws of the world, then we are truly doomed indeed. But he makes provision for us to be victorious. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, we're going back to 1 John uh, chapter 2. And remember, I said 15, 16, and 17. We read 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Remember, love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And now, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from God. It's not of the Father, but it is of 
the world. That's why he says you can't love that because if you love that, that's evidence that you don't love me. And you get to choose. Isn't that great? You're not a puppet. You get to choose. Choose life. I love it. Deuteronomy. He gives you a hint, right? He said, I'm going to give you a hint. Choose life. Well, here, choose the love of the Father over the love of the world. You can't do both. They don't coexist in you. It's either one or the other. You either are born as a child of God or you are born as a child of the world. And we know what that is. The Bible says that the world is evil. Galatians 1, 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. We live in an evil world, folks. In case you haven't noticed, this world is evil. But you're here. You're here by design from God, the Creator, because He has a purpose for you. But this world here is just like a proving ground. Uh, Not proving to God, but proving to yourself that you are worthy for life in the kingdom. So all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's in the world. So we've got three deadly demonic attractions that are in the world awaiting us. It's the lust of the flesh, that's what we desire. It's the lust of the eyes, that's what we see. And then it's the pride of life, and that's what we feel. The attractions you feel, the draw of the world that lures you in, no matter what it is, it's not from God. The world has its own carnal allure. That, like Psalm 38 says, though, it lays traps for you, and it's after your life. It's after your soul. Understand, the more we know, the better we can defend against these attacks. I told you about Galatians 1.4. It's a present evil world. The church needs to be delivered from this present evil world. This world holds nothing for us. This present world, the one in which we live, is evil. Jesus died for us so that we could live in this present evil world without loving this present evil world, without succumbing to it. Remember, 1 John 2.15b, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's why uh, the American dream, you know, it's a farce. It's a deadly farce. It's a trap set to ensnare you by making attractive carnal successes when in reality they distract you from the true riches. And unfortunately, the church is following that ideal. And that's why you see partly why we're in so much trouble. Jesus never died so that you could be a success in this world. He died so that you could live successfully from this world without this world. The church and its leaders have succumbed to the carnal attractions, the carnal appetites, and the carnal methods to build successful churches. The world reviles around money. Well, so too does today's modern church. The world needs money to build. That was never God's intention for the church, but that's the way the church chose to do it. They follow these models, these financial models of business people, successful business people, And they try to build their churches with money. No, that's not how God intended it. You don't build a church with money. And truth be told, you don't build a church at all. God said, I will build my church. You're not busy trying to grow churches. You should be growing people, growing saints. The world needs money to build. And unfortunately, the church needs money to build too. We've got it all wrong. Paul warns Timothy that we as Christians, we can be taken captive by Satan instead of doing the will of the Father, because of these appeals of the world. And what happens is we wind up serving Satan as his slaves. The Bible says Satan sets traps for us, snares, as it were, and when we aren't paying attention, we get taken captive. The love that men have for money is a prime example of this. Read it, 1 Timothy 6, 9. 
But they that will to be rich, they that want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Drowning in carnal desires, drowning in carnality. This is what's happening to many of our pastors today. They have the cares of this world. They're worried. Can I make my church successful? Do I have enough money? We buy buildings that God never told us to buy. We go in debt. We purchase them. We take all these projects on when God didn't tell us to. If you're a pastor, you have a calling. You have a very unique calling to a very specific set of people. God places sheep within your authority, within your sphere of influence, that you are to be preaching. You are to be growing them. You are to be guarding them. You are to be feeding them. You are to be protecting them. You are to be fighting for them. Very specific. And they're a very specific group of people. Instead, Barry's church down the road went ahead and they got a new TV thing. We're going to do that too. No, that's not Christianity. That's not being led by the Lord. That's being led away from the true things of God by your carnal appetites. The Phillips translation of 1 Timothy 6, 9. For men who set their hearts on being wealthy expose themselves to temptation. They fall into one of the world's traps and they lay themselves open to all sorts of silly and wicked desires which are capable of utterly ruining and destroying their souls. For loving money leads to all kinds of evil and some men in the struggle to be rich have lost their faith and caused themselves untold agonies of the mind. I love that phrase, agonies of the mind. That's where you lose the battle. Don't forget, the battle is not in your mind. It's for your mind. Totally different dynamic. You know, the Bible says in Peter, arm yourself, therefore, that's a weapon word, arm yourself, therefore, with the mind of suffering, with the mind of sacrifice, with the mind of denial that was in Christ Jesus. That's how you use your mind in the battle. Paul, right, the end of Romans 7, I think it was, that for with the mind I serve the law of God, but with flesh I serve the law of sin. Your mind is to be serving God. It never was meant as a battlefield. I'm sorry, Joyce. Okay, in World War II, America was in a war, yes, but the war was not in America. Well, your mind is in a battle, but the battle is not supposed to be in your mind. Matter of fact, Second Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. What are they? to the pulling down of strongholds. What are they? Casting down imaginations. Every high thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bringing under captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus and having a readiness to avenge all disobedience that your obedience would have been counted as having been fulfilled. Basically, Paul is describing one of the mighty weapons. It is so mighty it can pull down strongholds. It can break demonic attractions. What is it? It is the mind of Christ. The Christian standard for thinking is not making sure that you can uh, take most thoughts captive. It's having a readiness to avenge all disobedience when you don't take every thought captive. The Christian standard, you need to take every thought captive. James talks about the fact that, hey, man, if anybody's double-minded, don't think you're going to get anything from the Lord. You're not. Like a wind-driven uh, wave of the sea, it's got no direction. It's got no form. Your mind is supposed to be a weapon in your battle. God did not place you here in a playground. He placed you in a battleground, and you're supposed to be making sure that you use all the weaponry that God gave you to defend, to resist the enemy, to fight for others, right? You got the blood of Jesus. You got the name of Jesus. You got the word of God. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got the spiritual gifts. I mean, you are just equipped to go ahead and defend and restrain 
and set people free for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Paul warns Timothy that we as Christians, we can be taken captive by Satan. And that's exactly what happens when we let the attractions of the world get into our thinking. We start thinking about things instead of praying and getting revelation knowledge from the Holy Spirit of God. My wife and I, we've seen this firsthand. Many of the founders of our faith, the people that we loved, early church generals back in the 80s, we came in on the faith movement back in 1981. And in my opinion, that was the last great move of God in America. I know they've talked about revivals that we've had. I'm not quite sure they were of God, but I do know that in the 1980s, God brought in a bunch of people in the faith movement, and we can testify of the power of God. We've seen it. We've lived it. We are fruit of the power of God. Hallelujah. So many of our fathers in the faith, they fall and pray to this prosperity gospel where once they started out strong and biblically solid, now they've been trapped in their lust for money and the material things and no longer can be trusted to deliver the gospel of Christ accurately. What a shame, man. Just like it's been written, though, their minds are consumed with thoughts of money continuously. Every sermon, every teaching reveals their entrapment. We see it in the pleas and the money, the emails, the letters we get. They distort the scriptures and make biblical doctrines to support their covetousness. Remember, we talk about the things we love. Just read their letters, and you'll see that they talk about money. Luke twenty-one thirty-four through 36, another warning. And take heed to yourselves, saints, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, desire of the world, drunkenness, cares of this life, so that day of Christ's return doesn't come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall that day come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Here the scripture speaks to daily cares, the attractions of the world, carnal expectations, shopping, partying and drunkenness, licentious living. They all weigh heavily on one's mind and eventually the weight of those cares and concerns traps you. It becomes a snare to you. You are captive once more to the allure of the carnal celebrations of life, the worldly lure of things and fortune and fame that dominate one's thinking. The world has taken another one. That's what happens. And they are no longer consumed by the need for the presence of the Lord. Our only protection is an abstinence from the desire of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and our own watchfulness and guardianship of our hearts. Look at this, verse 17. This is First uh, John chapter 2 again. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. So look at this. The world is going to pass away, and its attractions are going to pass away. But here's the danger. Now, this is my opinion. I don't have a scripture for this, but this is my opinion. I believe that even though the world is going to pass away, and there won't be money anymore for you to lust after, sexual desire will be a thing of the past, you won't be able to fulfill those, but I believe you're still going to have those desires. If you have not been delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ, your eternity spent in hell, part of that punishment will be the fact that you still will be lusting. You still will have those carnal appetites, but there will be no opportunity for you to satisfy them. That, that's terrible if you think about it. You've got to be so careful, man. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside and you serve other gods and you worship them. Take heed to yourselves. This means guard yourself. It means watch out. 
Moses warns the Jews about following after the false gods of the uh, neighboring uh, lands, of the strangers in their land. He goes, don't connect with them. Don't serve their gods, that they would come into their midst. He goes, don't follow them. Don't let your heart be deceived. He said deception would be their weapon. Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 20. We read that in the prior lesson. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. As Christians, we have a responsibility to watch out for ourselves. God doesn't remove the threat. We are spirit beings. We live out our carnal existence on a fallen world, and we are ruled by a fallen being, a fallen angel, Satan. Jesus has provided a way of escape. He didn't remove the threat. He didn't even remove the temptations in the world. But he defeated its ability to conquer us. And he placed that ability to conquer inside of us. Yes, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's him alone, in him alone, that we win. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The message is great. Proverbs 4.23 in the message, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter. Avoid white lies. Avoid gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all the sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. As we shout God's warnings to God's people, our greatest danger comes from self-deception. Yes, you've got out there, we spoke about them, the false teachers and the false prophets. You've got out there the damnable heresies. You've got the people distorting scriptures for their own benefit. And yet, the greatest danger is our own fleshly desires and our own lustful pride. The Bible talks about having hearts that become deceived. That leads to bondage, which can lead us to serving other gods, false gods, into idolatry. Colossians 3, 2, I love it. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You have to be thinking spiritually. You have to be thinking about heaven. You have to think about the promises. You have to be walking in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Spurgeon said, have a relish for things above. Study industriously the things that are above. Williams writes, practice occupying your minds with the things above. Dave Gusick has a great explanation. He says, the best Christian living comes from minds that are fixed on heaven. They realize that their lives are now hidden, hidden with Christ in God. And since Jesus is enthroned in heaven, their thoughts and their hearts are connected to heaven also. We are told to seek those things which are above and to set our minds on things above. But how do we practically seek and how do we practically set our minds? And he gives you four opportunities right here. By spending time in the Word. You've got to read the Word. I've got a friend, her name is Emma. She's fabulous. She comes over for dinner or something. And she's reading her Bible. We may be watching a football. She's reading her Bible. No matter what, I can't even study for this because she's reading her Bible and trying to share with me the scriptures that she's studying. I mean, she's great. But I'll tell you, man, that is how you live. That is how you live above the things of beneath. It's just amazing. That's how you take every thought captive. When the enemy comes, she's full of the Word of God. He's going to take a butt whipping. Hallelujah. So we spend time in the Word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time with things that build us up instead of things that entertain us and by gathering with others in the Lord. It's just amazing that God's laid it all out for us if we just look in the Word. 2 Timothy 2.26, and talking about the people that have been taken captive by the worldly lust, 
and they that may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This is what happens when Christians get stuck in the world. They become prisoners of Satan. After all, this world system belongs to him. He is the God over the fallen evil world system, and he becomes a God over them when they fall prey to all of these lusts. The Amplified. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. It's important that we separate ourselves from the attractions of the world. It's a carnal church. It's a worldly church. And that's the rule rather than the exception. But that's why we pray. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we fight for our brothers. You know, you rescue them that have been touched by the fire of Satan. And you bring them back into right standing with God. And you fight for them. You intercede for them. So, Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that may be out there struggling, that they've got some addictions, perhaps, Father God, drug addictions, or even shopping addictions, or pornography, whatever it is, Father God. I break the power of Satan over their lives. I proclaim the freedom that Christ has purchased for them. I call them born again, full of the power and the presence of God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.